Welcome everyone. This is Carlos from Seed Camp, uh, broadcasting live from New York on our very first day in the U.S. trip with the Spring Group. And uh, on today's uh, trip, we uh, stopped by uh, Gotham Ventures and had the pleasure of bumping into a longtime friend uh, and mentor, Lucas Nelson. And Lucas is, is an interesting investor, but I'll let him give that background. Uh, he's interesting because not only of the kinds of decisions he makes, but the reason why he makes them, it's, and it really stems from his background. But maybe to, to talk a little bit more about the background, I'll pass it on to you, Lucas. Well, thank you. And let me first say thank you for having me on here. I'm uh, wildly thrilled to be on. So uh, my background, uh, I'm a hacker and a geek uh, by nature and I guess training. Um, so in high school, I had a, uh, a bit of a misspent youth and uh, I played around with computer network systems. Uh, and then I went to uh, college and kind of majored and studied in uh, computer security at uh, Purdue, which is a in, in the U.S. Is, yeah. was a really good engineering school. They had like it's a racing car circuit there. Yeah, they're they're a cool school. But the, at the time, back in and I'm going to date myself here, the mid '90s, they had one of the three kind of computer security labs in the country. Um, and so, being the kind of nerd I was, I thought that was the best place to go hang out. Um, and so I spent a bunch of time there. Uh, and then, not knowing any better, when I graduated, I wanted to work in startups, mm. and so I moved to New York. So that's kind of the, the, the start of a, you know, a career in computer security. And then after, after I did three startups here in New York, um, and I was lucky enough that all of them were bought by larger companies. So that was a, uh, probably a better to be lucky than, than good uh, piece of information there. You know, I, I, what kind of startups? Uh, so the first one was a digital agency. Uh, I didn't really know what that meant at the time coming out of school, but it's a digital agency, and I did computer security stuff for them. So um, some uh, crypto ID cards uh, work for them. Uh, and then I went to uh, a startup that ended up doing um, uh, what Wildfire did it more recently. Mm -hmm. So it was online sweepstakes, and we used it to do double opt-ins for email, mm -hmm. but it's not an online sweepstakes platform. And we sold that to DoubleClick, um, and you know it was a decent outcome. Wildfire's outcome was much better, but they had yeah. you know 10x the users we did because they were instead of being in 1999, they were in 2010, right? Um, and what and what was your role in those companies? Was I was an engineer. Uh, so the first two jobs I had, I was a programmer, um, yeah. a security-focused programmer, yeah. but still just a programmer. Um, and then in my third company, uh, it was a computer security. Uh, company consulting, um, and so there I w started as a, a hack. Of it? Uh, it was called At Stake. At Stake. Oh yes, At Stake. Yep. So At Stake. Yes. Uh, like if you were in that world, At yeah. Stake was uh, a group from the Loft, which was a Loft Heavy Industries. Loft Heavy Industries. Yes. A hacker collective. Yes. Um, that kind of teamed up with uh, some kind of money people and some classic consulting, and uh, took a bunch of venture capital money. Um, and uh, made a consulting firm. Ironically, I applied for a job there. Oh, really? Yeah, way back when. <laughs> my, my first job was uh, doing pen testing. So. Oh, really? Yeah. I, no, I did not know that. <laughs> so it was a pen testing agency. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so I did pen testing work for, I don't know, eight years? Yeah. Uh, for, them, for those who don't know, penetration testing is breaking into computers and getting paid to do it. Yeah. I, always, I always struggle with how that title sounds to people who, you it's, know. Yeah, it's not something you tell your mom. Yeah, no. Uh, I work on red teams. That's yeah. the nice way of saying it, right? Yeah, no, that's cool. So then, and then, so then, how did you make that transition 
into sort of the, the, the sort of less technical but more investing side of things. So what happened? How did that happen? Yeah, so if you'd asked me when I graduated college, I always assumed I was going to be a programmer forever uh, because, as you know, programming and, and hacking, you can get into flow very easily and it's yeah. very addictive. Um, but as I got further along in my career, I found that the best programmer, it's, you know, it's a power law, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're a little bit better, you're wildly more productive. Um, and so as I started to get further along, I noticed that like I just wasn't as good as the best guys, right? I could get, you know, I don't know, I'll say top 10% or maybe top 1%, but I wasn't, I was never gonna be Michael Jordan. Um, and that's when I kind of discovered that I actually liked working with people, right? Um, and so I started managing people uh, at, at stake, which then got bought out by Symantec. And so I started managing uh, the guys, uh, first small teams, and then the, the, the New York office for consultants, uh, for the computer security consultants. I was managing those guys. Um, and those are problems that are very intractable because they're human problems, right? Um, and so that became really fascinating to me. And then one day I looked around and I, I kind of wanted to get out of uh, breaking into things for a living mm. uh, because you're always the bad guy. Always, right? You're never the good guy when you find a hole in something. <laughs> because someone's going to lose their job or someone's unhappy with you. Yeah. Uh, and if you don't get in, then you weren't useless. Yeah. So you're either useless or the bad guy. Yeah. Uh, and I looked around at what jobs were out there that looked interesting. And um, you know, this is 2007 or so. And venture capital looked like a really interesting, you know, interesting gig. Um, you have to work with really intelligent people on things they're passionate about. Um, and you got to kind of, you know, play as a coach as opposed to a player. And I'd done three startups. I'd been a player um, before. And I thought, I thought maybe coaching would be interesting. And so I went to business school um, and uh, learned all about the finance side, which I hadn't known prior. Uh, and then I got a, a job at uh, US Venture Partners as a summer associate. And then they brought me back later as like an investment associate for about six months. Um, and uh, I got to kind of see that world. And it mm. was just fascinating and interesting. And uh, I really wanted to work there. Yeah, it's, it's funny, actually, my background kind of mirrors a lot about that as well. Um, and I think one of the things that I struggled with originally when I walked in uh, into the first venture firm that I worked in was this idea of having an opinion about technology um, and whether that opinion necessarily marries with, with the latest uh, thinking around something which may have sort of gone beyond the limitations that we, we became familiar with as engineers. What what how did you manage to sort of bridge that gap, that bridge of, of, of having so much of an opinion from having been in the trenches? Because it's so fast moving that, you know, at some point you just, you're dated. Yeah, so I, uh, I tend to ask people that are smarter than me uh, their opinion on almost everything. And uh, I, I like to say that it's easier for me to find people that are smarter than me. Uh, so that makes it, that's easy. Um, but when it comes to computer security, for instance, I've got five to seven people I call on. Uh, you know, on a relatively regular basis and say, hey, I'm looking at this, here's what I think, you know, you're in the trenches, what do you think? Mm. Uh, and that keeps me somewhat relevant. Um, but there's a funny thing about venture capital, right? Um, most people are wrong about technology once. Mm -hmm. uh, venture capitals are wrong about technology twice, right? So we're first too early and then we're too late. Because mm. the first time we see it and we're like, oh yes, clearly, you know, the future is gonna have and you name some technology, mm. and you bet on it, and you're five years too early, and then 
you see it come back around, you're like, well, that didn't work last time, so it clearly won't work this time, and you're wrong the second time. Yeah. All right, digital currency is a really easy example of, back in 1999, I thought digital currency was the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, and when it came back around as Bitcoin, I, I early on dismissed it because we tried that and failed back yeah. in you know, 99. And yet, you know, so I get to be wrong twice on that one. Well, th- there's something to be said for being wrong, but there's also something said for being very good at support. How, how would how would you say that um, you know founders you've worked with have, have viewed the kind of support you you do? Because I think I think it'd be interesting to find out kind of the 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 way different partners and different funds work with founders. Somebody with your background, what what's the general expectation there? Yeah, so it often depends on who that founder is. So when I work with technical founders. I tend to be translating to business for them. So yeah. I'll say, okay, what you're telling me is X, how you pitch that is Y, yeah. right? Uh, and that is valuable in, in several ways. On the reverse, when I'm talking to kind of non-technical founders, I'm often helping them figure out their engineering team. Um, you know, the human side of, okay, my engineers are saying this, you know, why is that true? Uh, there's this kind of joke about, uh, you want to, you know, geofence something that takes five minutes. You want to geofence a picture that takes five minutes. You want to see if there's a bird in that picture. You know, give me forty million dollars of R and D. Yeah. Right. Um, and for programmers, for people who know technical stuff, well, that's very obvious. What problems are are, are trivial, and which ones are NP complete and really hard. Yeah. Uh, but for most, you know, business people, they don't understand the difference. Like, well, why why can't you just tell me if there's a bird in that photo or not? Yeah. Right. Um, and so I spend a lot of time kind of massaging that. Well, this problem's gonna be really hard, that problem's really easy, this should cost you X, this, yeah. this should be cheap. Um, so I spend a lot of time doing that kind of thing, mm. um, which I, I hope adds value. It, it yeah. seems to so far, but um, you know, it's, it's almost all human problems, right? It's, it's never like, you never hire, you know, you never get your VC in there and say, yeah. oh, fix my UX problem, or, yeah. or give me a security pen test, right? Like, I'm not the guy you want doing that. Yeah, um, you can get you know cheaper, cheaper that that work done cheaper, uh, cheaper than taking money from me. For sure, for sure. And and how does that affect your investment thesis then? Like, are you do you? I mean, maybe maybe it's a good opportunity to tell a little bit about sort of the focus of Gotham. Yep. But also kind of how specifically within the the, the firm you you look for something. Sure. So we're a seed and A round investor here in New York. Uh, so we'll do checks as small as a couple hundred thousand. Uh, to as large as uh, maybe 2.5, 3 million. We tend to syndicate um, because we find that having more smart people around the table helps rather than hurts. Uh, and I tend to be on the side of, I, I look at computer security deals obviously, I tend to look at enterprise uh, plays and SaaS because that's the, the world of uh, stuff I worked on earlier, those startups or SaaS, you know, what we called them application, hosted applications back in the day, SaaS products. Um, and what excites me tend to be people who are working on hard problems, uh, hard technical problems, and they really want to change something major. Mm. Um, I, like everybody else, like consumer apps, mm. but I don't think I'm the guy who invests in them, right? I've got no advantage. Um, I have to be a momentum investor in that case, and it's not my nature. Uh, but you show me you know, a cryptocurrency or something new on the blockchain, and that gets me really excited because you know, I want to live in that cyberpunk future that that kind of stuff uh, would back up. So talking about cyberpunk future, what what is it that really drives your thesis uh, for for the things that are not like 
on the buzz right now, right? Because there's always the, that theme that everybody knows right. is, is hot right now. But in some ways, you have visibility into the future just from the, the sort of your background. Is it, you know, I, I was at this conference recently where they were talking about driverless cars that paid and would go up uh, online whenever there was a lack of cars and they would be paid through bitcoins. And it was like, it was painted the science fiction future. And I know you read science fiction. How much do you derive a thesis from that and, and actively look for stuff like that? So some of my theses do come from reading sci-fi and, and projecting back and be like, oh, we're almost there on that stuff. Mm. Uh, a lot of my stuff is a lot closer to home, right? Um, I've got a whole bunch of stuff on computer security. And unfortunately for me, that's hot right now. Um, it wasn't three years ago when I started thinking about it. Mm. Uh, but you know, the world changes quickly. And, and so you said you didn't want the hot stuff, so I, I won't talk about it, but that's um, a whole bunch of my stuff's around that because mm. I understand it really well. Uh, when it comes to kind of the more futuri futuristic stuff, I think the way we're computing is changing pretty fundamentally right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the Internet of Things is going to cause a ton of pain points uh, that we haven't started to, to really talk about yet. All right, so I've got this um, Bluetooth-connected umbrella. It warns me whenever I leave it behind, right? Yeah, I know the founder, actually. Oh, okay. So it's a, it's a good product. It needs a little yeah. work on some of the UX UI, but it's a good product. But on a, any day I have it with me, it messages me like five or six times, Yeah. right? And that's one umbrella. Well, when my wallet starts telling me, you know, like we're going to live in a society where we have to interact and have like personal relationships with our things, that's going to in some ways really suck. Right? Like, I don't want to talk to my umbrella eight times in a day. Uh, I like, you know, like, I like the fact that I can't leave it behind, but I don't really need it, you know, hey, you left me behind. Like, no, I, I want to get lunch. I'm fine. It's, it's okay. Um, <laughs> Codependent umbrella, huh? Yeah. So I think that's going to be a really interesting place to play. And I've been thinking a lot about enchanted objects and kind of, you know, how are we going to interact with these things that currently are using our iPhone to, or, or Android phone to, to call our attention to them? And that's that's probably not the right answer, right? Like, yeah. I, I really don't want to spend all my time on my phone telling my umbrella to be quiet. Yeah. Um, not that I don't love my umbrella. Thank you for the umbrella. <laughs> so, you know, you were talking about how security is hot right now, <laughs> and, you know, there's all these other things that you have this idea, but but let's let's focus on one thing that a lot of founders actually probably don't quite understand is, is the nature of what it looks like from the VC side of things when something's hot. So, sure. um, you know, obviously security is one of these areas where Israel is also known quite well for. How does it play out, just so people get a feeling for how does it play out, when a startup is coming to you um, in the security sector, usually is it a competitive thing? Are, are you, how is it that New York stacks up against, let's say, Israeli VCs for security or Valley VCs? And, and I don't think that founders almost always appreciate that it's not always like um, a, a power position that VCs are in. Sometimes it is a, it is a process uh, to try to show value. Yep. So... Uh, in the best deals, the ones you really want into, uh, you're selling yourself. So uh, another VC once said to me, uh, you're a psychologist who's selling money right? as a VC. That's your job. Like, make founders feel good and, and sell your money to them. Um, and so uh, Israel's really interesting because the tech that comes out of that, uh, that country and out of some of those elite uh, units, 8200 and so on and so forth, are really, really good. Uh, but the market's tiny, so we're starting to see them come to the U.S. earlier and earlier. And New York is a great place for them to land, especially for security, because banks are early adopters of security. 
So their customers are here. The time zone different isn't uh, time zone difference isn't all that large, and having a, a large Jewish uh, community here makes it friendly. Like um, and so it's we've seen a ton of good deal flow through that. Um, but you know, hot sectors are tough, right? Because you get more competition more quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Six months ago, I didn't know of any um, you know IoT security companies. Now I've seen five. Right, um, mm-hmm. because it's clearly going to be a problem, and everybody knows it. And so the the question is, do you have real tech there, or is it just, hey, I'm doing an IoT firewall, I have first mover advantage, and that's kind of uninteresting, right? Yeah. Does that sort of answer the yeah, question no, there? yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that um, probably indicates when when a sector is getting really hot is how competitive every single deal is, and and I don't know, like, what, where would you say security is in, in that in that realm? Is it at the point now where, you know, it's it's getting every deal you're just constantly having to, to battle it out or is it still early days? It's not that bad. Um, and now part of that might be in, uh, because I've got such a deep background in it, yeah. uh, people often bring stuff to me and say, hey, look at this with me. So yeah. I might be a um, bias because of my background, right? Yeah. Uh, no, you know, if we were talking about a sector I knew less, I might have to compete more. So I might be getting lucky there. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's really hot. I mean, it's it's a hot sector. Things that, that probably shouldn't be getting funded are starting to get funded, right? More Me mm. Too companies. Um, you know, you can kind of count, it's probably 10 or maybe 15 investors who really know security really well. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's five or six out in the Valley, a couple here in New York, a couple in Europe, a couple in Israel, um, that really know, like, it's obvious to everyone they know what they're doing. Um, and and they're still doing deals, but now you're starting to see a bunch of people that have never done security doing deals in that space. And you know, it's it's kind of like uh, I liked that band before they were cool. Um, yeah. Some of it's like that, right? You know, I don't like competing on stuff that I felt was mine. Yeah. But but part of it is, hey, it's a, it's a sector that obviously is going to have some big winners, and so people are much more willing to roll the dice now. Whereas five years ago, it wasn't so obvious there were going to be big winners, and so you didn't see a lot of people jumping into that space. They yeah. had to be more expert. Talking about experts, one of the things that um, I noticed that you also have an interest in is health. Um, and it's not necessarily like the most obvious yep. thing. Um, maybe, what, what, how, did, what, how did you get into that, but, but also kind of what angle of that is? Because it's been, it's been almost a bad word for, for VCs that are not specialists in that area because of so much red tape associated with it in the US and abroad. So um, we'll start with, we have a healthcare IT specialist here. Mm. Uh, his name is Paul Ehrlich. He has a, uh, he has a CS degree and then he was an OBGYN for a number of years. Uh, and then he's been the chief medical officer at places like uh, Becton Dickinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's leading all our real health stuff. Uh, I've got a small interest in kind of um, patient-reported outcomes mm-hmm. and and technology around that, and that's simply a family affair. Uh, my dad has done, oh, I don't know, 30, 40 years of research in that area, uh, and so I get to cheat, right? I can ask him, hey, you know, when it comes to patient-reported outcomes stuff, is this a good idea or not? And I get, uh, so I, I just have a, an inside uh you know, we have a company thing. in that space, Patients Knows Best. I did not know that. Now you know. We should, we should talk about that afterwards. Hey, we definitely should, yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. Um, no, it's pretty cool. And it, it turns out you're also a, a lover of martial arts. I am. Uh, I, uh, 
I've done martial arts for a number of years, and then for a while I lived with a UFC fighter. So one of my roommates was a UFC fighter. Dude, is it, that's like an argument you will never win. <laughs> you stole my milk. No, you didn't. Uh, yeah, no, uh, you know, we, uh, he was my martial arts teacher. So, oh, really? uh, so very rarely did he beat me up. But uh, yeah. every once in a while we'd get in a, get in a little tiff and I never came out on top in any way on those things. Nice. It didn't, didn't hurt that, you know, I weigh, you can't see me, but I weigh like a buck 60, buck 65, and he was like 210 of muscle. So, uh, yeah, pretty intimidating. Yeah, no, well, I mean, it's definitely an intimidating presence. But, yeah. I mean, look, you, you've, you've covered a broad range of things, and, and I think one of the things that we always love to hear is kind of what you're passionate about that you'd like to plug, sure. that, that you feel like, you know what, I, if I could get more people to, to go to this or visit that or, or do this, what, what is it that kind of, maybe if it's not necessarily regard sort of the, the VC world, but perhaps more outside, what, what, what would that be? Sure, so um, I help run a CTO summit. Um, and so there's a New York CTO summit. We've got them in eight cities now. Uh, and so I would love people to come to our CTO summits. Uh, and the reason we started these, now this is again a startup thing, uh, but it's not a VC thing. Um, I noticed kind of a, a dearth in the market where if you're a CEO in New York, you can go to an event every night, maybe three. Mm. There's always something for you to do. And uh, if you invite CTOs to something, they're like, sure, because <laughs> no one's targeting them. And they're, they're immediate customers. Right. And, 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 you know, it's, it's really, if you want technical founders to exist, you need to help, you know, move people forward, move them up the chain. And so that's what the CTO summit's about, right? It's getting CTOs to talk to each other, uh, move along best practices. These CEOs get that in spades and CTOs are often, you know, in the trenches doing real work. And so, uh, I'd like people to come to our CTO summits. Um, Peter Bell runs them out of, here out of New York. Um, and so I, I can give you a link if you like. No, that'd be great. So, what What is it that I would say um, that you know we have? There's this book called uh, um, the Five Temptations of the CEO. Okay. And I haven't. I'm just bought it. I, I was it was recommended to me by a friend. And um, and you know the premise of it being the mistakes. Right. But you know it would be interesting to hear your views on what the five temptations of the CTO would be from your experience. Like what are the things that that from having run the CTO summit a while, what are the things that pop up a lot as, as like, oh crap, this if this is the one thing I've seen time and time again? All right, so the hardest thing, and every CTO will tell you this, so this is not a surprise to anybody, is hiring. Hiring is impossible. And it doesn't matter if you're in the Valley, you're in New York, everybody has trouble hiring great people. Um, and so that's the, the obvious one. And so the temptation is to pick somebody up um, because you need a body, or to outsource, or you know, early on, um, and those those things tend not to work, right? You can see outsource teams sometimes work if the CTO is from the place you're outsourcing to, yeah. right? Um, that sometimes works. Uh, remote dev teams are fine, but outsource dev teams aren't. So that's kind of one of the obvious ones. Uh, service-oriented architecture. So moving to a, a service-based system too soon uh, is another. Uh, another thing that we talk about a lot with CTOs, right? So there's a point where you're the size of Amazon and obviously everything should be its own microservice and, and that's amazing. Uh, but it means that it takes longer to deploy anything. And so until you hit a certain size, probably you've got a couple offices 
and you've got already a remote team and a local team, um, until you're at least that large, it doesn't make sense because it takes you too long to deploy something. Yeah. And so if you need to get a quick fix out or you want to pivot, well, you don't want to wait eight weeks to do, deploy on a pivot. Um, mm-hmm. And so in that case, monolithic systems are better. So, you know, I think 20 or 30 programmers is about when that switch becomes appropriate. Uh, different CTOs will tell you different numbers, um, but I've definitely you know, heard from people that were smaller than that saying, yeah, I, I did it and I did it too soon. Um, you know, better to do it a little bit late than a little bit early. Yeah. Yeah, so it sounds to me like for those that are listening, if uh, if you're a CTO uh, heavy uh, founder type team, Lucas is the man to, to come and look up. Please come talk to me. Love to help you out. Excellent. Well, with that, thanks a lot for your time, Lucas. Thank uh, you for having me. It's been a pleasure getting to know you better. Didn't realize we had as much in common. This was excellent. Um, thank you so much. And thank you to your listeners for listening. All right. Thanks. Bye, guys.